Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live a millionaire's lifestyle? Well, today we have Vicki Oliver, career development expert, consumer advocate, and author of her latest book, The Millionaire's Handbook, How to Look and Act Like a Millionaire, Even If You're Not. Today we're going to discuss how consumers can spend less, live better, and save money in the long run. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about a little bit the Millionaire's Handbook, How to Act and Look Like a Millionaire, Even If You're Not. What prompted you to write this book? I just feel that there's a lot of envy today of very wealthy people, and I felt like there's so many things one can do where you can have basically the lifestyle without really spending a lot of money, and I wanted to share it, and it came partly from my own experience, and I also interviewed a lot of people on how to do it, how to really get a luxe life for a little bit less. I don't think any one of us would not want to hear some of that fantastic information. Now, this is not your first book. You've obviously come to this book from your research on past books. Is that true, or is this kind of a whole new approach for you? This is my fifth book. The previous four were all super targeted to a career professional. And so some of the themes from those books is reflected in this book as well. For example, let's say you're starting out in business and you need the clothing to go to work, but you really don't have the paycheck yet. So some of it comes from there, but also it's a little bit broader because this is just talking about general lifestyle, not only targeted to the working person. It's to everybody. I always like to write about different topics. Like some writers write about the same topic over and over. My first book was about job hunting, and some writers will write six job hunting books. For me, I feel like once I've written a book, I've exhausted the topic, (laughs) and I like to grow with each book. Well, listen, I'm ready to live the millionaire's lifestyle, so tell me how to do a champagne taste on a beer budget. Exactly. A lot of it comes down to how you prioritize your purchases and what really matters. I talk about how to figure out what you should buy, the minimum, what you need to live that lifestyle, and also polish yourself up for the workplace. You talk about spendthrift economics. Can you define that for us a little bit? Sure. Unfortunately, a lot of us, we see advertising on television, we see magazines, and we feel like, wow, I have a credit card and I should just go spend it. And that's a really dangerous way to live. And so what I also talk about is trying to kick that habit, how to do that. Maybe pay down your debt so that you're not saddled with debt. A lot of purchases people make are just simply unnecessary, and this book is about picking the ones that are necessary and the ones that aren't necessary. My wife and I, as our kids were growing up, they were able to dress in nice clothes, and one thing is we weren't embarrassed to go to Goodwill and other secondhand shops to get those clothes because, man, the kids, they don't really own any clothes. They just kind of rent them for about three months because they're growing so fast. And to go and buy that name brand stuff at the store, we found it would be 10 to 20 times more than picking up something that might have been worn for three months by some other kid. It saved us and our family, I know, thousands of dollars because I know when I sit down with clients where they're purchasing clothes all firsthand, and it's nice to get some of that stuff once in a while, but it is really easy to save money without necessarily cutting corners on what look you're giving yourself or your kids. Exactly. That's just a great point. 
going to a thrift store or a vintage store is a terrific way where you are showing that you have style, but it doesn't have to cost you a million dollars to get dressed. And with children, where they keep outgrowing the clothing, it's even more important. Well, we're kind of talking about this lavish lifestyle look anyway, so just tell us a little bit. Your book addresses just paying down debt kind of has to take priority over maintaining this lavish lifestyle. Yeah, I would start by trying to figure out which credit cards of yours have the highest balances and then list those cards first and pay down the highest rate first. I would concentrate on the interest rates, not so much the balances, until you bring a card to zero. And then, let's say you were paying $50 a month to bring that card to zero, then you put it against your next card to bring that to zero. You really need to try to bring down your debt. If you're a single person, you just can't keep spending money and amassing debt. It's going to catch up with you. Well, especially at high interest rates. So credit cards can be a phenomenal financial tool if you have the discipline to know how to use them. For example, lots of opportunity to gain points and benefits on all your charges. My goal, of course, is to pay off the balance every month and only purchase what I truly need. And the card doesn't give me an opportunity to buy things I don't need, but it does give me an opportunity to get a summarized statement. It does give me an opportunity to earn points for travel or airline or whatever it is. So you can use these financial tools to your benefit, but you have to have that discipline. Right. For example, I use an American Express card, and on that American Express card, you accumulate points. And then what I try to do when I do have to buy a suit, I accumulate points on the card and then use them to get money to pay for that suit in a store. Something like that is just, again, having the discipline, knowing that you need something, not just because you want it. Using those benefits of those cards to be able to do that. One of the other things you talk about, and this seems like it would be common sense, is of course pay your bills on time. But I don't think people truly understand sometimes the impact of consistently each month being a couple days late or four or five days late. Oh, I'll put it in the mail. You really got to time that well because of the impact on your credit score. Can you comment on that? Yeah. The problem with paying bills late is that it just really messes up your credit score. And then it's worse for you from an interest-bearing standpoint. But if you can prove that you're a responsible person and that you pay your bills on time, a lot of times you get a break with your interest rate. So it's just a good idea. Also, when it comes to later, like purchasing an apartment or a house, your credit score is going to be the first thing that they look at. Us being insurance agents, too, a lot of them offer monthly, quarterly, semi-annual modes. And right now, where people's checking accounts are typically paying little or no interest, Sometimes those savings can be as high as 7 8% by paying at once. And if you know the bill's going to be there anyway, even things like property taxes, you might get a discount for paying it up front versus paying it over time. And I think people get on such a habit of paying over time and they don't even think about what it's costing them extra to have that convenience. You really need to analyze everything that you have. And then when you talked about paying things late with credit cards especially, not only do they typically have a late fee, but then you run the risk of going into the default rate, which could be 7, 8, 9% higher than their already ridiculous high rates. Right. And it's really time for, I think, everyone to just get out of the keeping up with the Joneses mentality. It doesn't really matter what your neighbor does or what she or he wears or how big their house is. Some of it is just like there's always somebody who's richer, who's thinner, who's more attractive than you are. To just say, that's fine. I'm happy with my life the way it is. 
we, of course, as advisors, try to convince people that everybody's circumstance is unique. And you make a great point. Let's not worry about what the neighbors or the coworkers do because their circumstance could be completely different. It could be completely different. And unless you are there looking at their specific accounts and their finances, you really don't know. Also, with jobs, I live in Manhattan, and sometimes, for example, the financial sector has been really hurt in the last four years by this terrible recession that just keeps going on and on and on. Sometimes it might seem like somebody's husband, let's say, is working at a great job or something, but that person may not get a salary. You don't know, is all I can tell you. Some people are working in financial occupations, and it's like, eat what you kill. Like, they only get paid bonuses, but no salary. You bet. You also address in the book, don't assume that someone's going to come along to save you from your financial straits. Why don't you comment on that? Sure. I think that for a certain segment of the population, probably women, there's a little bit of a view that, oh, someday my prince will come. And if that's your financial strategy, if you are buying a lot of clothes because you feel like someday your prince will come and therefore rescue you from your financial situation, that's just not going to happen. It's very unrealistic. To me, that's not a financial strategy. Well, what about the easy money that you should be able to take advantage of? Give us some examples of that. Absolutely. If you're working at a company and if that company has a 401k plan that will match like dollar for dollar, whatever you put into it, that's something you should be doing. Also, let's say you live in a city and you live in a rent-stabilized apartment. Sometimes that building is about to go co-op and somebody might want to pay you to leave the building. And if that's the situation, I believe you should take it because that could be a lump sum for part of a down payment on your first co-op someplace else. Look for those opportunities where they are, but I don't think that one of those opportunities is like a prince that's going to come along on a white horse and rescue you. This being the first quarter, people have gotten typically year-end bonuses or raises, and Tony and I are meeting with people all the time, and they say, well, I just can't afford to put more away. Last year, they did a relief on what was deducted from paychecks for your Social Security. That's an easy way to find some money to throw into your 401k, and if that company has a match, that could accumulate to a decent sum by the time you reach retirement. People let these opportunities just kind of slip by because they're really not focused on paying attention to the details or just don't get around to it or get started. You're so right. There are so many opportunities for people. And I've always heard it, live below your means, not above your means, and everything else should take care of itself. I know. There are some shocking statistics out there. For example, many, many, many women do not save more than $500 a year in their checking accounts. That's really frightening. They're just living at their means, and they're not putting any money away. That's really scary because you really don't know what tomorrow brings. And also because if you work at a company, usually, unless you have a contract, the arrangement is at will, and that means it's at the will of the employer. And so you might lose your job and be out of work for a year looking for another job. You're going to need to have a rainy day fund. We're emotional beings, and we certainly counsel people. Our job is to kind of remove some of those emotional factors. So how do you feel about the importance of working with an advisor versus kind of going it alone and making these decisions by yourself? I personally think you should go with an advisor because in this particular case, ignorance is not bliss. You just don't know what the options are for you, and it all depends on what your goals are and also how old you are, how much risk you can take. Those types of equations, probably you're not going to be able to figure out by yourself. So I really do believe in talking to a financial advisor or at the very least taking a financial planning course. If you're going to do it on your own, take a course, learn something about it. 
That's great advice. Certainly, we've got more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, let's kind of talk about looking for some simple cuts that we can make in our budget and talk about the importance of having a budget. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and Registered Investment Advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. I'm Leslie Bibb. Everything changed the day my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. Suddenly, she was faced with having to raise four girls on her own. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance kept her family together and enabled us to carry on. My father loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the Nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Vicki Oliver, who is a career development expert, consumer advocate, and author of her latest book, The Millionaire's Handbook, How to Look and Act Like a Millionaire, Even If You're Not. Let's still continue to live that millionaire's lifestyle, but let's look at some ways that we can make some simple cuts and try and increase our cash flow. Now, when I use that word, we like to talk about the importance of people really understanding and getting in touch with their budget which means what's your income and what's your outflow. And look for those opportunities to save money and redirect that into, for example, college savings or retirement planning or things like that. So from your book, share some ideas of the impact of just making simple cuts and saving a little bit here and there. Today, we all have so many different phones. We have a cell phone and maybe we have a landline. And then at the same time, we're probably communicating mostly via the Internet. Facebook and email. And so one of my thoughts is to just say, do I really need to have both a cell phone and a landline? Because mostly you're probably just texting your friends anyway. And how much do you really need it? And I say, if you don't really need it, I would pull the plug on your landline. That's a simple cut you can make. I think it's important to have a goal for what you want to save each month. Just say, I want to save like $50 a month. So that will add up over time. Another thing is that wine, and especially here in Manhattan, if you go to a restaurant, they are now charging $18 for a glass of white wine in a restaurant. It's crazy. (laughs) Buy a bottle of wine for $20 and enjoy it. Have a glass at home before you go out is another way you can save money. Well, just a tip, as we do this interview, of course, we're in the Midwest. For 18 bucks, I can go to a discount warehouse and get three quality bottles of wine for that same 18 to 20 bucks. So, <laughs> no, no, I'm not suggesting you drink three bottles of wine, obviously. No, but me <laughs> neither. Please do not misunderstand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
restaurants, like the margins on things like wine and the margins on things like appetizers can be pretty high. And I think if you go out a lot, and it's not for business, because if you're taking out a client, that's a different issue. But if you're going out with your family a lot for dinner, I would look for simple cuts there. Yeah, it's impactful when you think about an hors d'oeuvre, a couple of drinks, and dessert, what that does to a meal, plus your waistline, of course. Right, plus your waistline. That alone could add like $50 to the cost of the meal. And then the tip on top of that. Right. It's just amazing. And then I also feel like there's no shame in telling friends of yours, I'm on the austerity diet this year. Like instead of us going out to dinner, maybe we should have a potluck dinner instead and ask your friends to bring a dish and just save the cost of going out. And it's amazing how much you can save. You look at even just going through the drive through how expensive it is and how easy it is if you just eliminated once a week going through the drive through And if you're taking, let's say, your family of four with a couple kids and just as a convenience you run through there, you're probably spending $20 more than you need to and you could probably eat better at home. I've heard the excuse as we're meeting with clients a lot of time, I just don't have the time. Well, if you take the time to maybe make some meals on the weekends or your day off and freeze them in meal portions so that all you have to do is heat it up come dinner time, that could go a long ways toward freeing up money to do things that might be more important than just running through the drive through Right. That's a great idea. And, you know, any client would probably much more appreciate going over to dinner at your house than going out to yet another restaurant. I have another one, too. I was at a coffee shop in New York City, and I threw in a tip, and then I was thinking, what about tip yourself? Why do we always assume that just because there's a cup out there to accept tips, that we have to tip on top of, let's say you go to Starbucks, the drink is already over $4. If it's a cappuccino, let's say it's $4. Then why do we feel compelled to tip that person on top of it? And I was thinking, tip yourself. Maybe I could save $3 a day just on tips alone. There you go. Tell us how we do that. So what happens is, let's say the drink costs $4.20, right? So you throw in the other $0.80 because it's just change. But instead, if you have an envelope that you carry, and you know what? I'm tipping myself $0.80. I'm tipping myself on this, and you just do that. At the end of the day, you'd have like around $3 a day. Mm. Tip yourself. And I don't feel like that's being cheap, because what are you really tipping the person for, if you think about it? I mean, it's their job, and you're there for, what, three minutes. Why should you tip everybody a dollar for three minutes of service? You think about that, too. They are already getting paid. It's not like you're at a restaurant and they're serving you. You're at a counter picking something up. If your example of three bucks a day, that seems minimal, but that's almost $1,200 a year. And if you do that over a working career and maybe make a little bit of interest, you're not talking a few hundred bucks. Now you're talking tens of thousands that could be available in retirement just from the tip, not even the cup of coffee. Not even the cup of coffee. Boy, and if we get into that cup of coffee, I mean, what does it cost at home? Maybe 50 cents a cup. If you're really buying really nice coffee, it's amazing how we never think twice about something as, well, it's just four bucks here, five bucks there, 80 cents for the tip. Man, it sure can add up in a hurry. Right. I heard on the radio this morning that the drinks at Starbucks are going up. (laughs) I'm just saying, think it over. If you love Starbucks coffee, buy the coffee. There you go. And make it for yourself. Now, you mentioned before about some wardrobe issues, and in your book you talk about don't fritter away your money on items that you really don't need, and you talked about layaways. So tell us your feelings about that. 
When you see the word layaway, or belg should go off in your head. You should say layoff, layoff. Layaway means layoff. If you can't afford to pay for it right now, then force yourself to walk away. No, it's a great tip. It's just cheating yourself later. And you're also kind of depending on the kindness of your employers if you live right up to your means. True. I'm sure we all have probably more in our closet than we actually wear. Do you have any tips on that? Here's what I do. I have a lot in my closet. I call it shopping your closet, which means very specifically, before I go out and buy anything new, I write down a list of the items that I already have on paper. And I look at the items that way. And then let's say I see that I have three pairs of black pants. Well, I don't need any more black pants. I already have enough. And when I look at it that way, it allows me to pair the items in different ways. I can see them differently than when they're just hanging there in my closet. So I shop my closet. Also, we just went through the holidays. Sometimes it's nice to give people that you love something of yours rather than going out and buying them something new. I think those are great ideas. And I just got to give a man's perspective on that because I did something similar, but my passion is fishing. I have a habit of going to the bait store and I see something on sale or a color that I think is going to work a little bit better for a lure. I was buying lures all the time. I'd get back to my boat and I'd start going through stuff and find out I got eight of those already in the tackle box. What I love about your idea, I just put a moratorium on not buying any more equipment because I probably have enough to last me my lifetime and my grandkids. But one thing that I just heard there is writing the list down of an inventory of anything before you go buy something, understanding what you have. And I think you can expand that to just about anything, whether it's people are into cars or people are into skiing or people are into this, that, or the other thing. any of their hobbies we have a tendency to pile that up and i know from going to auctions you see an auction and someone's got 20 crescent wrenches of the same size when they do an estate sale they have 15 different hammers we have a tendency to accumulate things because we're not thinking about what we already have that's a great idea yeah and here in new york city kind of helps because we're limited by our space too we don't have large closets and everything. So it's easier in a sense. If the closet looks crowded, there's a reason for it. If you want to get rid of their clothing, give it to charity. At least try to get a tax deduction. That definitely is a gain. I also found if you just do your wash frequently enough, you don't need to go back (laughs) in the closet. That also helps. (laughs) So instead of having a month's worth of clothes, you really need just maybe a week or two and you just have to go out in there and clean it once in a while. Hey, speaking more of clothes, a lot of top name brands today have the so-called outlet stores. Tell us your feelings about Yeah, I don't feel like in general outlets are such a great deal. And I caution people to be a little bit careful about shopping the outlets in this sense only. A lot of times the items that are in outlets are not the same items. They are not the same items. They are crafted just for the outlets. So there you are and you're buying a Calvin Klein jacket, let's say, and you feel like you're getting this great deal that is 60% off or whatever, but it's not the same jacket as the one you would buy in a high-priced department store. So in fact, you're not saving the money that you think you're saving. And I feel like that's kind of a problem. Instead, what I advocate is if you need, let's say, a Calvin Klein jacket, 
for work, I would go and I try to befriend the salesperson at the store and I would try to find out when is the next sale? Mm. When is the next family and friends discount coming? Because you won't know if you don't go there frequently when the sales are. But I think if you befriend the salesperson and you just say, here's my business card, it has my email on it, would you mind letting me know when there's going to be a sale? A lot of times you will hear from that very person within three weeks and they'll say, there's a sale in that jacket that you looked at. And now it's 60% off. And doesn't it also make sense to at least know where you're shopping? What is their return policy? Because you might be able to, if let's say you purchase something at a higher price and now it goes on a deeper sale two weeks later, you might be able to go back and get a store credit? You might be. I mean, I do not advocate that because that person spent a lot of time with you, you know, supposedly. But I've had the experience of going into very high-end stores and being able to say, if this shirt were $200 less, I would buy it. Mm. and have that person contact me when the thing goes to that price. I've had that experience a lot of times. A lot of times they know, the salesperson standing there, they know when the next sale is going to be. You're almost describing having a clothing advisor who's watching out for you. Exactly. It's like having an uncle who works in the store. There you go. Exactly. Hey, because we're at the beginning of 2012, we're all thinking about our New Year's resolution. So give us one more tidbit from your book on how people can help save and kind of live that millionaire lifestyle on the beer budget. I feel like you should start with a number that you want to save, that you need to save, you should look at it that way. Okay, what's that magic number? Is my number $100 a month? And then I would try to figure out how to save that amount. It's very helpful when you have goals and benchmarks to meet. I think that's something that happens with just savings in general is that it's difficult unless you have specific goals. But if you want an apartment or you want a house or you want a car, you have a goal. Write it down, visualize it. I would write it down because a lot of studies show that when you write down goals, you achieve them faster. And I think that just to have them and to talk about your goals, it's just the same type of goal as anything else. I want a new job. I want to lose 10 pounds. Well, those things are all definitely great advice, and we appreciate the time that you've shared with us today. Just to refresh everybody again, your new book, was that just fairly recently released? Yes, it was published in November of 2011. Okay, and again, it's the Millionaire's Handbook, How to Look and Act Like a Millionaire, Even If You're Not. Of course, I'm guessing you can get it at all the traditional outlets. You can get it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and BN.com. Excellent. I know that as this economy still definitely is struggling and may likely for the coming 12 months here or longer, we might just want to revisit again and talk about some additional saving strategies. Hopefully we can do that. Perfect. I'd love that. Thanks so much for sharing your ideas and thoughts today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your real wealth advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security 
securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.